quantum computing fundamentally is the best way to process information based on the laws of physics as we know them. I had constructed what I thought of as the generalization of the universal Turing machine. Can an astonishingly powerful new realm of computation be found within the quantum world? Will researchers ever realize the goal of what they call quantum supremacy? And what would it mean for our society if they did? From its fundamental building blocks to the ultimate goal of a truly universal quantum computer, join me, Oxford Professor of Philosophy Peter Millikan, as I explore this and many other questions on the Future Makers podcast. Available today from wherever you listen to podcasts. You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious, that we all have medical issues, or we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, figured out how life began, cured cancer, and understood our purpose in the universe, there's a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes to our health. Future Tech Health means I'll be covering futuristic topics that are actually already in clinical trials or even starting to appear on shelves or by prescription or available for your own use. We dive deep into stem cells, CRISPR-Cas9, the science of sleep, epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. Remember, however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoy the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and share it with friends. Thank you. This is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Future Tech Health podcast, and I have uh, Dr. Thomas Newman. He's the CEO of Nordis, N-O-R-T-I-S. The website is Nordis Bio, N-O-R-T-I-S-B-I-O.com. So, uh, Tom, thanks for coming. How are you doing? Pretty good. Yeah, thank you for inviting me uh, to the podcast. It's quite exciting. Yeah. So, tell me about Nordis. What, um, what's the premise of the company? So Nordis is a company that makes so-called organon chips. And organon chips are basically uh, replacements of human organs or segments of human organs grown in small microfluidic devices uh, with the intention and the objective to replace animal testing and uh, test on human tissues and living human tissues directly. So basically, we make these chips, these devices, and we create pieces of human organs in these devices on a microscope scale on a very small scale and then we use these uh, these devices with these living organs to test drugs and do research and a whole bunch of other things that we could otherwise not do with human beings okay so what uh, how do you model an organ on a chip I mean is it just little wells of uh, different types of cells that are interconnect- interconnected with you know mm-hmm. fluid like blood or you know like what what physically do you do to model it yeah, chip is always a little bit of a misleading term. Uh, most people just think about an electronic chip right away or or potato chip that you can eat. So it is actually 
a device, a small device that has not no electronics or no wires and stuff in it, but small fluid channels. Uh, other ships that we make have this about the size of a credit card and have a lot of, as I mentioned, little fluid fluidic channels. And then there is a chamber that these fluidic channels connect to. And in this chamber, it's a three-dimensional chamber. We grow, based on human cells that we can purchase or, or isolate from organs, we grow, we recapitulate certain structures of these, these organs. Does that make sense? Well, okay, so, well, kind of. So let's say the, uh, you know, the, I saw one of the things you're working on is the liver and kidney. So the kidney, mm -hmm. what are some of the functions it has? And what what is, how do you model a kidney alone? Let's say on a on a chip. What are yeah. what are some of the components of it? Right, right. Okay, so <clears throat> just to be a little bit more clear and specific here, the traditional way to grow cells is obviously in petri dishes, right? Where cells are either from animals or from humans. They are isolated from human organs. Uh, they are seeded in a petri dish and there's a nutrient solution put on top of these uh, cells and these cells attach to this hard plastic surface of the of the dish and grow and form a sheet and then you can do tests with them you can test how they respond to drugs you can test how they grow and, and so on but the limitations are pretty strong if, if a cell attaches to a, a hard substrate and is not perfused with blood and so on, it reacts quite differently than in the human body. So that's what we are trying to do better in our chips. Our chips actually recreate the cell in a three-dimensional structure, in a more tissue-like component. And since you asked about the kidney, um, I want to just explain briefly how we actually make a human kidney proximal tubule, that, which is an anatomical structure of the human kidney, an important one. So um, just imagine having a small paper cup or a small uh, plastic cup and you poke a needle from through the walls of this cup from one side to the other, and then you fill that cup with jello and you just let it solidify until it's a gel, and then you pull out this needle. So the result that you have is basically a three-dimensional longitudinal channel in jello. And that's it's the method that we use in our chips. Obviously, it's not a big cup. It's a, it's a very small structure. Uh, but this chamber that I mentioned that the chip has a glass fiber, tiny glass fiber going through. You can also have two or three glass fibers, depending on what you want to build. And then pulling out this glass fiber leaves behind in a collagen. And collagen is a kind of a jello material. Leaves behind a channel there. And then we can take kidney cells, for example. We can also take other cells, but we could take kidney cells, and we seed these cells into this channel. As I mentioned, these chips are fluidic chips, so you can, with the fluid that goes through these channels, you can actually seed the cells, and they end up in this uh, jello-like uh, material, and they populate that channel that you create. And within a short period of time, if you seed enough cells in there, uh, you can create a structure that looks like it. A kidney proximal tubule. That's the difference. The cells are not growing on a flat surface as it is in the petri dish. They are now growing in a tissue-like material. As, as we know, collagen is a tissue material. Mm -hmm. They don't touch any artificial materials, and they grow in this channel. It's as thick as a hair, just for com comparison. And it also can be perfused with growth media, 
that gives the cells nutrients, but also with test substances like drugs, for example. And that, that is very important. The cells need this uh, three-dimensional architecture that they um, have in the kidney. The kidney proximal tubule is exactly a channel like that. And uh, they also need these physical cues like uh, perfusion. It's very important. Why, why is that's this important? Why, yeah. why, why is this important? I mean, why is it, uh, if I have a drug like that's, that's flowing through the center <laughs> of a tubule and the cells are all mm -hmm. around me radially as I go through the tubule, I'm just picturing it as if I am a molecule. I guess right. I, can, I can affect that tubule very differently than if I'm just moving over a flat surface of cells, you know, like in a dish. Correct. Uh, not everything is fully understood. Um, but we know that the, 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 this, this, this shear stress that comes from that fluid flow in this tube actually starts a whole bunch of signaling cascades that give the cells certain information about, in that sense, uh, how much urine, for example, is, is created. Uh, the cells also, in our chips, we saw it actually very nicely, they grow small cilia that stick into the lumen of that uh, proximal tubule and sense the fluid flow. So this is, these are organelles that the cells use to get information about what's going on actually in the immediate environment, uh, in that case in the, in the lumen of the proximal tubule. And uh, it has signaling effects that have on a, ho a whole bunch of uh, downstream um, effects on, on protein expression uh, and, and, and other, other uh, effects. So that's very important. So the ideal would be, you know, you can test stuff in a human, but there's problems there. And then the next level down is what? Like 3D printing a whole kidney if it could be done and testing that in the lab. And then maybe the next step down is trying to approximate some of the functions of the kidney, but in a in the right structural way. Is that the mm -hmm. hierarchy yep. of, of models that you're, you've come to? Right. Yeah, well... Yeah, as you pointed out, the best uh, subject would be the, the human subject itself, right? But we, we can only don't want to do uh, experimentation on humans, and then and then actually, really, it's a question of what you find want to find out. Printing an entire kidney uh, and populating building an entire kidney might not be necessary because you can actually buy kidneys, right? Reject the donor kidneys. You can buy those and test it there. But what you really want to see is how does it work on the particular cellular level and then sometimes it's much easier if you have a much smaller structure you can image it in the microscope you cannot just put a big kidney under a microscope right that's very difficult um sure, yeah. the way the way how it's set up yeah. in the chip is um it's very controlled environment we can control very precisely the fluid flow that goes through it so how much volume goes through one of these kidney tubules in a certain time. This also allows us to control what's the drug exposure in a certain certain time. And this would be very difficult to do in a big kidney. It's really it's really a, a tool to zoom in into the kidney, rebuild a portion of the kidney, and then really zoom in into the function of these of this of this unit. So I was mentioning the proximal tubule. And the proximal tubule in the kidney has very important functions in drug secretions, means the drugs and compounds that, that get into the blood, right? You take a pill or you, you, are, you, 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 you breathe it or whatever, it, it gets into, the, into your blood, but the body wants to get rid of it. And so it gets 
secreted into the urine. And so the kidney is very much about what gets transported from the blood side into the urine side. And uh, this we can mimic really well uh, with this proximal tubule segment that we create because the proximal tubule plays an important role in in this kidney function. So I see what you mean. So you're, you're saying, okay, too hard to model the whole kidney. We're just going to take, let's say, some of the tubules, set those up as best as we can structurally and with the right cells and test what's happening just in that part of the kidney, then maybe add in another separate segregated part of the kidney and let's test that. And you're, you're able to mimic or at least find out or elucidate the mechanisms of certain drugs by doing this. That's precisely the case. Right? There are other structures in the kidney, let's say the distal tubule, that plays a role in certain diseases or, or uh, kidney stone formation and so on. Then you can build a chip that models that portion of, of the kidney. Uh, you can combine the kidney with an organ like the liver and you see how kidney and liver interact. And so we or our collaborators at the University of Washington have done that as well. You can also model diseases because there we have important diseases in the kidney, for example, but obviously in many other body parts as well. So let's say the polycystic kidney disease would be one example um, where these cells in your proximal tubule start to form cysts. Uh, and if you have a polycystic kidney disease in, in an advanced, your kidney just uh, exists. It's just a cyst. So we could, if we had the right cells and we put them in the three-dimensional shape in our uh, kidney, then we um, we can model the disease, right? Other diseases okay. that we can model. So um, if it's if it's hard to model a whole kidney and you just model parts of it, then you want to model it and how it interacts with the liver. How do you do that? Like, how do you choose which parts of the kidney to to hook up to which parts of the liver and you know, what if you're excluding one that's important and it changes the whole function of it? I mean, how do you, it seems to be like very complicated. How would you figure that out? Yeah, that's true. Um, <clears throat> sometimes you can really, if you always see the, the very the very complicated aspect and very complexity of it, then, then you get never started. Um, this was actually a very sure. interesting, very interesting project at the University of Washington where a student decided just to hook up a liver chip that we made, that Norris made a liver chip with a kidney chip. Uh, she put tubing in between the chips and routed the fluid from one chip into the other chip. And once again, this was a proximal tubule chip. And this is the, that is the unit that is very sensitive to toxins. So that was actually the right physiological anatomical structure of the, of the kidney. And she wanted to see the, uh, how our kidney behaves when it's exposed to a certain drug, it's a certain compound. It's called aristolochic acid. That's actually from a plant. We know it's a Chinese herb. It has been also used in in in, in European history and in, in medical treatments in, in in Greece and so on. It has a two thousand year history, and it also grows in in the Balkans on on the fields and gets under the crop. And it's known to cause uh, acute or chronic kidney injury and also kidney cancer. And so she thought, why don't I put that into this proximal tubule kidney chip and see how the cells die, right? <laughs> um, she wanted to mimic the chip. And to her big surprise, the cells were actually okay. And then they were scratching their head and, so, 
and said, um, let's, let's run it through the liver into the kidney chip. And so they did, did that. They routed this arastolotic acid um, from the liver chip into the kidney chip, and they realized that all the cells died. So they found out mm. that against the expectations, the liver was not protecting the kidney from, from the toxin. It actually uh, transformed it in a, into a more toxic product. I think this was the first time, to my knowledge at least, the first time that an organ and chip system in combination showed uh, the metabolic pathway of a certain compound. That's really interesting. So the liver metabolized it and turned it into a more harmful metabolite, which then killed the kidney? Correct. Mm -hmm. And that was not known before. So that is the first time that we now see organ and chip systems are are really advancing um, the field. Yeah. So in order to have um, an effective organ on a chip, how many of the functions do you have to replicate? Like, Let's say a kidney has five functions. Do you have to mm-hmm. have all five or you can do just some and it's good enough? I mean, again, it, yeah. it seems so complex. Like, How do you know where to start? Mm-hmm. That's a good question. And what, what the organ and chip technologies are, are good about are just dissecting the different function of, of, of an organ. We are not claiming, and that's not the goal, to make an entire kidney. Kidney has so many different functions. So we are actually really zooming into the particular structure of the, of the kidney. And uh, there is no clear answer. It always depends on what do you as a researcher or as a drug test or want to find out. It can, could be just one question for one important pathway uh, that gives you the right answer if you use that chip, right? Um, we often have a situation, I just want to elaborate a little bit on this, where <clears throat> people are very interested, specifically in the pharmaceutical industry, how drugs are secreted. And secreted, once again, means how are they transported from the blood side, right? The kidney has obviously many, many blood vessels, and the drugs need to be secreted. They need to travel through the cells and the proximal tubule once again and get into the urine and then leave the body with the urine. So how does that work? And what is the pathway of a drug? Uh, how well are they secreted or, or not well secreted? And so the kidney chip can answer these questions. Uh, we have done now done extensive studies and our customers and collaborators as well, where they look at certain drugs and then see if these drugs are getting transported at first from the blood side into the cell, into the kidney cell, and then from the kidney cell into the urine. That's very important. If, if some of these transporters don't function really well, or if the drug inhibits some of these funct- uh, transporters, then the drug either stays in the, on the blood side and doesn't get excreted, excreted or um, it stays in the kidney cell and kills the kidney cell. So these are very, very important answers that, that you can get when you look into these uh, and use and use these these uh, structures, these tissue chips uh, for for research or drug development. I mean, still though, like how much effort and money and time does it take you to make you know one kidney function on a chip versus multiple, for instance? Um, the question is, so the kidney chip itself is actually not not as expensive as it is not more expensive than using animals and obviously we are developing this as an animal animal alternative to animal testing um and uh well here's, here's, really why, I, here's why i ask you here's why yeah. i ask you so let's say you wanted to know 
how a drug affects the kidney. Okay. Mm-hmm. And let's say the kidney has, uh, I'll just, I was going to say 10 functions. And right. then um, you may want to connect the liver to it. So let's say there's like 500 different permutations you could set up. You could do like liver function one to kidney function two and four. Or you could do liver five, six, seven to kidney eight, nine, ten. You should right. be able to use statistical methods to do a much smaller subset of all the permutations so that you could figure out what's really going on. Because if you don't do that and you just like say, oh, I think it's affecting the microtubules and I'm just going to add this to that. And it seems like just luck that you'll see the proper function you're looking for, or you may see the function, but be missing out on other parts of the function. So I would think you need statistical methods in order to be able to make multiple configurations, test a bunch, and then see what's really going on in order to be effective. Yeah, that's a very good point. I mean, I was zooming in on on, on single aspects here, but as we know, many of the processes in these organs are interconnected. Um, and this will be very important in the, in the future, specifically if the organ and chip uh, technologies become more and more leading in drug development and environmental aspects and so on, environmental toxins, that we um, take in consideration the, the multiple functions and multiple pathways. And eventually we will have such a wealth of, of data that needs to be handled with a specific <clears throat> specific measures that can that help us to to analyze the data to to structure the data and then make assumptions uh, and projections to the human outcome yeah it just seems like super critical to be able to get really good at making certain organ functions on a chip get really fast at it maybe be able to do it in a really cheap way so that you can do all these permutations and do like a really robust experimentation on things, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, obviously, you're not only testing one single com- uh, concentration of one drug. You often, often uh, test a whole bunch of different uh, concentrations under different conditions, and then sometimes also in conjunction with other drugs, like groups of drugs, combination of drugs, right? And uh, we're talking a lot about kidney today here, but our company is not only doing kidney. We have we have a number of other organ models out there. They're all based on the same principle of these tubular structures. And our body has a lot of tubular structures, luckily, for us, luckily, mm-hmm. uh, so that we can also make blood vessels. Uh, for example, we can make cancer structures. We have made heart tissue, um, blood-brain barriers, a lot of important structures that uh, people are really interested in having better modeled and modeled in 3D. Hmm. How do you know what to work on then? I mean, there's so many things you could. I mean, do you are you approached <clears throat> by different uh, companies and institutions and governments and saying, hey, we, we want you to do this? Or do you have to go out and identify what would you think will be impactful and then, you know, make uh, organ-on-a-chip systems for those things? Yeah, that's a very, very good question. And that, that's the typical... The typical problem that uh, smaller companies, that startup companies have, that they just get pulled in, in so many different directions. And specifically in our earlier years, almost every week somebody came and asked us, hey, can you make a blood-brain barrier? Can you make heart tissue? Can you make lungs? And so the, in, the, in the earlier days, it was hard to say no. Uh, but we, we learned that it's very important that you concentrate on a few uh, organs that uh, that you can really bring to the next level. So 
we still up to date get questions almost every day. And some of these ideas are really, really cool, really great. Uh, some of them we have to put on the on the back burner, but uh, we also have become much better in in being very collaborative and and just give uh, these researchers our technology in their hands and help them to achieve this goal. So we don't have to switch our focus, but we can make our customers being successful if they want to develop something completely new. And this has actually created very good results for us. Yeah. Okay, so what have you decided? Uh, what are your focuses right now? Focus is clearly the kidney, and, and we talked about this a lot today. Kidney is, is, is our beachhead <laughs> application. Um, we, get, we see a lot of traction. We see adoption in the pharmaceutical industry now. Um, in in academia, it's even on the ISS space station as we speak right now. Is a is our our, our chips um, tested up there? Um, mm. And and the, the next big focus is uh, on cancer. That's a big need on having systems for testing cancer cancer drug <clears throat> cancer drugs uh, out there. The animal models that exist are not reliable. So we really that's a big need for human-based cancer models. And even then, in the, in the future, even the path is there for personalized medicine. This means taking a patient's biopsy, putting the biopsy into our chip, and then before you go and, and treat the patient with potentially harmful treatments, specifically in the cancer arena, then testing these these tissues in our chips with these drug or drug combinations before it goes into the patient. Okay. Interesting. So, avenues, we are working on them already with uh, strong collaborators, but it will take us a while to, to get there, to get it in the, in the clinic. Yeah, I mean, isn't the, uh, are you going to work on uh, models now with liver and kidney combined, or are you just going to work on kidneys alone? What do you think is going to be the path forward there? So our our focus right now is to still do kidney alone. There's still so much to do, and we really want to create a tool that can become a routine tool in in drug testing and drug development. And there's still a lot to do uh, to make it more streamlined, more user friendly, um, more automated. And as you mentioned, the anal analysis elements, the whole data. That comes out of these chips, uh, finding solution for that. Um, that's that's our prime focus. Uh, we do help uh, researchers who, who want to focus on the liver, kidney, and the actions. So we just built a following that that interesting study that I mentioned earlier from the University of Washington. We built a chip that has a liver unit and a kidney unit uh, on one chip, so you don't have to actually take tubing and connect the two chips. So it's on one chip now. It has a liver chamber and a kidney chamber, and you and you can perfuse them separately until you decide it's ready to switch, and then you just slip a valve, and then the, the fluid goes through the liver and then ends up in the, in the kidney. But once again, this is not our prime focus right now. We really want to build our system so it's more user-friendly and adaptable to big-scale big use, large-scale use in pharma industry. What, what, how do you feed cells? You know, let's say it's, uh, you know, again, uh, kidney cells. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. You feed them, I guess, with blood. I mean, what, how do you feed them? And then do they actually produce, like, have you gotten um, 
you know, part of a kidney to produce urine on a chip there? Or is that way too yeah. complicated and multifunctional? Is it just, you know, again, how do you feed the cells that do any particular right. function to keep them yeah. alive? Yeah. In general, and that's that's exists for a long, long time, for decades, people feed cells with nutrient solutions, right? You have a whole bunch of, you have sugars and proteins and 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 so on in these solutions. And uh, yeah, once again, there are nutrient solutions. Serum is usually uh, part of it. And uh, that's basically a blood replacement for these cells. So they take up, they take up these, even in a Petri dish, right? If they grow, cells grow on the bottom of a Petri dish and you fill the Petri dish to, let's say, five millimeters or something height of, of a nutrient solution. It's called, it's called media, growth media. That's the, the term for it. And then you let that sit and the cells take up the nutrients. In our case, in these microfluidic chips, we have a pump system that we build and the chips get just plugged into this pump system and it perfuses these channels in the chip with these nutrient solutions, this growth media that go through the little channels in the chip body and then and it, then it goes through this jello, this collagen chamber, uh, through the lumen, the inner lumen of the proximal tubule and then it leaves the chip and it gets collected in a downstream fluid reservoir. And then you can take that fluid actually to do analysis also because the cells produce stuff. So you can take that and analyze, okay, what have the cells produced? Does it make sense? Yeah, no, no, it, it makes sense. What, <laughs> what about when you interconnect uh, very, you know, the liver and the kidney? What, what, what are they interconnected by? You know, this, I guess the, um, the drug passes through, let's say, uh, you know, a, a tubule, it gets altered, and then the the contents of that of the new you know of the drug that have been altered now just flow right into the kidney, or yep. like, how does it work? Yep, that's how it is. It uh, it passes the deliver component, right, and the deliver. So the drug is the drug uh, that you want to test is in the in the medium in the growth uh, uh, medium is present there. It passes the liver component. And gets metabolized into, in that case, toxic products of this aristolocic acid. And then it flows, it, it leaves the, kid, the, the liver unit and reaches the kidney unit and gets directly into this lumen and uh, has an effect on the kidney cells. Okay. That's how that works. It's a very basic system. And then you can, you can have combinations of different ways to bring it to the, the tissue. There's always, as you can imagine, there's always an inside and an outside. The human body is very compartmentalized. And, and uh, so there's an inside of the kidney tubule, and then there's an outside of the kidney tubule. The outside, it's also called the basolateral side, uh, represents the blood side. We don't have a blood vessel in our chip, but we could make a blood vessel in our chip. So we bring the drug that we want to test actually from the outside in many cases from the outside because that's how it would how it would reach the the tubule and then you have these little shuttles these transporter system that see the drug take it bring it into the cell and then you have have another shuttle system that takes it and brings it across the cell wall into the lumen where then typically the urine would be in, in our case it's just medium that flows through okay yeah. So what's um in your in your experimentation? What kinds of uh, interesting phenomena have you seen that you didn't know about before, or maybe you knew about but now you literally see it? You know what kinds of really cool or interesting things yeah. have you discovered so far? 
Why if you stay with the kidney, what was really spectacular for us to see was what I mentioned earlier, that these kidney cells grow these cilia uh, that stick into the lumen. There's these little sensors, these antennas that uh, sense the fluid flow. With uh, confocal microscopy, you can take really beautiful pictures in three dimensions, and that's just very, very, very impressive. But also mm -hmm. was very impressive for us to see um, that these tubules uh, are really tight. So as you can imagine, if the cells in that jello channel don't reach out to each other and don't form tight borders, tight junctions, then fluid would leak all over the place. So seeing those cells actually really becoming a kidney-like structure again and, and reaching out to each other and, and, and growing without any any gap, not even a small gap, like really filling this entire space is also very uh, spectacular. Another thing what was uh, you can you can use fluorescent markers to label these certain transporter proteins that I mentioned earlier. These are very, very important. It's very important that these transporter proteins are on the right side of the cell. Otherwise, they cannot sh shuttle it correctly from A to B. Right? It's like almost if you have a river and the ferry is on the other side and you want to go there, but the ferry doesn't come to pick you up. Um, it was really fantastic for us to see these cells uh, having the transporter systems on the right place, like on the right side of the cell. Uh, so either on the inner side, the luminal side, when it shovels stuff from urine out to the blood, or on the, the other side, on the outside, when it shovels stuff from the blood to urine. But uh, the biggest Eureka moment probably was early on and when we started our company when we made blood vessels um that's how we actually started out we would make these channels once again want to uh, describe it again we make these channels in this jello like in this collagen material we take blood uh, blood uh, blood vessel cells that you can buy they are like single little balls right they're isolated from let's say an umbilical cord and you buy them and they have millions of these cells and you put them into this channel and they flow through and they attach to the walls and within minutes you build a structure that looks like a blood vessel. But when you put uh, growth hormones around these cells, you can do this by perfusing it into, this, into the environment, then suddenly you see that these vessels begin to sprout and form beautiful vascular networks, like little capillary sprouts. And yeah very much like in the human body. And that was really fascinating to see that these cells realize, okay, we are not single balls anymore. We are now a blood vessel again. We are, experience, we are experiencing flow and we have this environment, this tissue-like environment, and we have growth hormones, so let's sprout. And sprouting is a very complex process. It's not that the cells are just doing random stuff. So one cell is the tip cell that moves forward and then has a whole bunch of other cells following as the stalk cells. So this tip and stalk cells uh, formation, we could see all that happening in our, our chip and it was just really, really amazing to understand we can actually recapitulate human blood vessels and, and they behave and they grow like small blood vessels in the human body. Hmm. You know what I realized is um, as blood flows through the body and it goes through various organs, the the cells that make up the endothelium must be different, let's say, in the kidney versus the heart versus us. Because otherwise, how would, uh, you know, components in the blood know, okay, 
we're now in the, in the microtubule of the kidney. It's time to diffuse out through the walls. When they're in other spots, they wouldn't do that. That's really, that's, yeah, that's, that's very fascinating. These endothelial cells, as you mentioned, these blood vessel cells are very, very different. And the way how they grow is very different in different organs. Let's say if you have the eye and the brain, they form absolutely tight blood vessels, um, really tight vessels because the brain, brain needs to be protected from, from rapid changes uh, in, 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 in like introverts and, and, uh, and other and other uh, components, not sugar actually flows freely, but in, in certain components and uh, in the, the eye as well. So you have really tight blood vessels. In other areas, um, like in the kidney, you have actually endothelial cells that have holes that have like so-called fenestrae um, that lets stuff go f through faster, just to have a faster exchange. Um, and so you're right, uh, these Every organ has a different set of endothelial cells, and you see that sometimes with drugs, that drugs are developed, um, and uh, they selectively suddenly, a side effect, kill uh, endothelial cells in the lung or in the liver and not in other uh, parts of the body. It's very interesting. It's not really well understood, but these are things that we also model in our chips. When a customer comes to us and says, we are making a drug, and it seems to kill the lung, lung blood vessels, can you make some lung blood vessels chip? Then you can mimic that process and find out what can be done to prevent that. Yeah, I guess just one more question about the blood vessels, um, or even the microtubules, whatever it is. Do you, do you see that, um, you know, let's say blood is going down a microtubule and it enters the region where now it would filter out, you know, in, in the kidney, it enters the kidney region. I would mm -hmm. think the beginning of the microtubule and the end of the microtubule would have different porosity or ability to filter stuff out because, you know, if I have a concentration of, uh, of a certain nutrient, when it enters the microtubule, as that diffuses out of the blood, it gets lower and lower as it goes through the blood vessel. You know, so from the, the beginning of the end, the beginning to the end of the, of the diffusion zone, I would think that in order to keep it maybe constant, um, the porosity of the cells or the ability of them to take up the nutrient would change as you go along the length of a microtubule. Mm. Does that make sense? It does make sense. I mean, it's it's often not in that very geometrical uh, element. You cannot really see it as a long, super long tube. Uh, the blood vessels, for example, also decoil around uh, these these tubes. But uh, in general, you're right. Um, and, and don't forget, there's not only the passive exchange, there's also these transporter systems that are sitting there and actively shuttling. Um, so the rate of these compounds getting across from the blood side to the urine side is, is also mitigated by the activity and the number of these, these transporters. Yeah, and I, and I know I'm being real detailed, but I just figured they would change yeah. along oh. the length of the tube concentration. You know? Yeah. And then too, like the speed at which the blood goes through the tube, and then when the heart pumps, you know, it, it maybe goes fast and then slow, and fast, you know, it pulses and it's so complicated. It's amazing that all <laughs> yes. this has worked out somehow in the body. If you think about it, you know, it's weird. That, that is amazing. And we have not understood everything yet. Uh, but keep in mind on that, on that level, on the, on the capillary level, on this micro level, there's not much pulse, pulsation in the body. It's more an even flow. But even that flow gets regulated by certain hormones and so on. So it's a very, very complex system for sure. And that's sometimes, that's the 
that's the reason why it's, sometimes it's better. It always depends on what your question is, what your question you want to answer with that tool. Um, but sometimes too much complexity prevents you from finding out certain things, certain mechanisms, right? If you have too many factors that could influence it, then it's sometimes difficult. And so that's, we are on that spectrum, on this end of the spectrum where we can zoom in, into uh, single anatomical structures of functional units, we call them sometimes functional units of, of organs and and uh, and then combine them with others to become to add more complexity. But we will not re never reach the full complexity of an entire organ. That's not the yeah. goal. Well, now it makes sense why you do that, you know, because like I can see if you think think about the total complexity of it, you'd freak out and do nothing. So you have to yeah. do something. Yeah. So yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, I guess you're you're faced with uh, those decisions constantly. How far do you go? What do you include? What do you exclude? And are we getting good data? And you know, it's hard. Correct. Correct. Okay, well, yeah. very cool. So, so what's the um, what's your goal for the next you know year to five years? What would you love to see happen with your business? Yeah, the the first goal is to get really more and more perfected, get our get our uh, kidney on chip perfected more and more, and as I alluded to, make it more and more of a useful, very user friendly uh, tool in the pharmaceutical industry that really has the power to replace animal testing, right? We, we still know that uh, animal testing still plays a very, very big role in the preclinical phase of drug development. So we, at some point, want to be able to be a true alternative to animal testing. And we're getting we're getting there. But this is a goal for the next few years uh, that we get more and more adoption and uh, that we can scale up more and more the use of these systems in the pharmaceutical industry. And then... Looking into the future, we really believe that uh, we can advance it into the personalized medicine. That's what I mentioned earlier today, where we can make it not only be used uh, in general research or general drug development, but also creating, let's say, a clinical trial on the chip, right? Where you have you select a whole group of patients, young, old, certain diseases, diabetes, and so on, uh, and you have a thousand kidney chips, for example. And then you test a new drug in that whole population, and you can see how it how it selectively affects uh, people with certain diseases or or predispositions. So that would be interesting. And then all the way to getting to a point where you grow one individual cells. This could be either you grow something from stem cells, or you take a, a biopsy and you test that biopsy or that that personalized tissue. Uh, against uh, a number of potential treatment decisions, so that's that's what I, I see uh, us developing our technology toward. All right, and that's, that's great. great. And then <laughs> that's pretty exciting. There's a lot of room <laughs> in that field too. I know you got a lot of work ahead of you, but it's good. Stuff a lot of work ahead. Yeah, it's exciting. It's really cool. Well, excellent. So, what's the best way for people to ask questions or get in touch? Should they just go to NordisBio.com, or are there, are there other ways to get in touch? Yeah, I know. The, and uh, I believe, I hope that my contact information is there. Um, if not, they can send me an email. That's probably the best. At, uh, my last name is Newman, N-E-U-M-A-N-N, -N, at nortisbio.com. I'd be happy to answer questions. That's one of the fun things, is actually being part of a whole community and seeing actually so much excitement about this, this technology in people. And uh, it's amazing what ideas people actually bring to the table that we didn't even think of. So 
very exciting. Yeah, true. All right, that's great. Well, Tom, thanks for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. Bye-bye. All right. You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious, that we all have medical issues, or we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, figured out how life began, cured cancer, and understood our purpose in the universe, there's a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes to our health. FutureTech Health means I'll be covering futuristic topics that are actually already in clinical trials, or even starting to appear on shelves or by prescription, or available for your own use. We dive deep into stem cells, CRISPR-Cas9, the science of sleep, epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. Remember, however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and share it with friends. Thank you.